Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Okay, you can have a wee seat, get comfortable. If I missed you at the start of our service, good morning. Lovely to see you. If you've been away or you're visiting with us today, we have been in a summer series on Paul, and this is actually our last week. So if you have been mourning the loss of a weekly map, never fear, I believe that Brian will be bringing Moses back next Sunday. Yes, it's good news. It's going to be good. A quick recap of where we've been so far this July, though. We introduced the series a few weeks ago, looking at Acts chapter 19, where it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And we thought about what sort of life does God flow through to do extraordinary versions of extraordinary things. Next week, we looked at three pillars of Paul's clarity, the sorts of things that were foundational in his faith that then helped him to glorify God through his life, enjoy God through his life. We talked about the sufficiency of Jesus, the priority of the gospel for him, and then his indispensable community that he did it with and was part of and was sent to. Last week, uh, our elder David Crawford shared about the call on our lives to share our faith. I got to listen to that message driving on the Isle of Uist with a carload of rehopers. It was great. And today, to finish us off in our little series this summer, I've called this message, When God Says Go. And it's basically some final reflections from Paul's life that I was uh, looking at over the last couple of weeks. Now, I was a noughties, well, 90s noughties Christian kid. Uh, Some signs that you maybe were too, if we are a similar age and you grew up in a Christian home, if you close your eyes, you can still taste the orange juice that the old ladies made for Sunday school, which could have probably taken your nail varnish off your nails or stripped the wallpaper in your home because it was like seven parts juice, one part water. You might find that if you are out in the rain, specifically if you're getting rained on, there'll be a little tiny voice in the back of your head that'll be like, Lord, rain in me, rain in your power over all my dreams. It'll never leave. At a disco, do discos still exist? At a party, at a wedding, anywhere there's music, regardless of what you want to do, your dancing instinct will be to do the actions as if you are at a holiday Bible club. Whether it's Chris Tomlin or Taylor Swift, you will be acting out that song, word for word. Northern Irish Christianity, back in the day, was definitely not perfect, but there was some real treasure. And one thing I am so thankful for when it comes to the Christian culture that I grew up in is that every summer, doing some sort of missions, whether that was at home in Northern Ireland or whether that was further away, it was just something you did as a Christian teenager. Now, I know missions can be a loaded term, so for the sake of today, I simply mean going and deliberately sharing Jesus wherever, whenever, however. And as a Christian teenager in Northern Ireland, in the circles I was in, your summer holidays were a time when you did this. You 
uh, spent time and money and blood, sweat, and tears to do that. You, I remember being 16, and me and my 17-year-old best friend were handed the keys to a church building in the countryside of Northern Ireland, and we were given full reign of the place to host holiday Bible clubs for a week, or whether it's like that kind of thing at home, or whether it's going abroad for two months to join with what some other Christians are doing in some other part of the world. It was the normal thing. It was, it was what we did. And for all its many imperfections, mixed motives, wrong motives, raging hormones, immaturity, it ingrained in me that sharing Jesus in different contexts is a normal part of this. It made going somewhere else to join in with what God was doing in a different place, in a different community, feel like one of the things that made following Jesus fun and exciting. And so a rhythm of going somewhere else was built into my, ye- my year from a young age. And there was something about learning how God could use me elsewhere that helped me come to grips with how he wanted to use me anywhere, everywhere, at home as well. Uh, I was talking to my dad on the phone a couple of weeks ago about this series, and he was giving his sort of like Barclay Campbell review of things so far. And he was saying that you know, the only thing he thought was missing from the book of Acts was that we don't get to see inside Paul's head. You know, what's he thinking? How's he feeling at every twist and turn? And I kind of agree, if that's okay to say, that I would love to know more. Like, I would love to know more of how Paul is thinking. But I like how God kind of sets it up for us to not have to completely imagine Paul's inner world. Because where Acts is like the action book, then his letters that come after do pull back the veil a bit more. And it feels fitting that if you read the Bible in order, if we read through the New Testament in order, it feels fitting to start with the action because Paul's life was led from place to place as the Holy Spirit led him from person to person, place to place to share Jesus in that way. And we read the action of that in Acts and then we get to his letters and it's like we see, okay, how his faith was formed in that context in the context of going from place to place as the Spirit led him, that's where he became, he went from being new believer to preacher, teacher, pastor, servant leader in the context of going and sharing Jesus. And it makes me wonder how God guided the hands of the people who put the New Testament together, who put it in order because it seems so thought out that you get the Gospels first, that you read Gospel and you think, okay, here's Jesus Here's, here's Jesus again, but from a different perspective. Okay, here's Jesus again from a different perspective. Here's Jesus again. Okay, do you believe in Jesus? Right, now you believe. Okay, here's the church. Here's the call to go. And now that you're going, now that you've seen what church is like, now that you see, okay, this is what a life on mission looks like in the book of Acts, here's what you need to know. Here's Romans. Have some theology. Have some lessons. Have some correction where you need it. I would love to spend a year of my life studying God's word, tuning into his voice, looking into what type of missions, what type of going he loves and blesses, the sort that brings life and not destruction. I I genuinely would love to study that. I would love to bring you a thesis on that, but I can't do that today. So for the sake of first thoughts that I have, I think God loves when we go in obedience to his spirit for his agenda not our own, for his glory, not our own, in unity with the people that we're going from, going with, and going to. And that's the sort of missional going that I hope the Holy Spirit can light some fires in us for today, this summer. 
as we go through this year. Because I think we're in an exciting moment in the life of the church where we are figuring it out again. We're figuring out what does it look like to go in this new season? What does it look like to go in a post-COVID pre-revival moment? What does it look like for me, for us, to live a life that resembles Paul's lived out over a lifetime, following the Spirit from place to place to place, person to person, here in our city, out in the world, everything in between. And I want to land our, our mini-series here because I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will blast away any unholy blocks that would stop us from following Jesus wherever he would call us, whatever that would look like in our own lives. Because we might have some missions baggage, and that's understandable. We might have lost a bit of momentum because we've been a bit stuck at home for two years. We might feel unsure as to where God's leading us. We might have practical limitations. Our limitations might have changed in the last couple of years. So I find five final reflections from Paul's life, which I want to share with you today, which I hope can help us move forward, no matter our story, no matter where we're at. Okay, so number one, when God says go, first thing, don't wait. In Acts chapter 9, we hear about Paul's dramatic conversion story. Dave shared on that last week. Ananias prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we read this. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't know new Saul yet. They know old Saul. Saul isn't even called Paul by this point in the story yet. He was so fresh in his faith that his reputation hadn't had a chance to catch up with him yet. And yet two things astonish and baffle the people here. Firstly, I see that his instant Holy Spirit empowerment baffles them. Something has happened in him, which means that he is different quickly. And they look at him and they think, wait, isn't this the same man? Like we knew this man just a moment ago and he was doing something very, very different to what he's doing now. Isn't this the same guy? When we give our lives to Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there can be quick Holy Spirit-fueled change in us. And if Paul had waited until his infamy had calmed down or he'd waited until he was a bit more learned or until he felt a bit more ready or whatever, then there might have been something lost here of an opportunity to astonish the people in this way. Isn't this the same guy who... The text goes on to say, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Firstly, they're astonished because they can't believe that that guy is the guy that they knew before. And then they're baffled by how he grows more and more powerful, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if we filter the word powerful here through a New Testament filter, it makes me think of New Testament power. So Jesus' words in Acts 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's directly connected to the Holy Spirit filling them and then talking about who Jesus is in Jerusalem. And then what was said about Jesus in Acts 10, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So God has filled, so God has filled Paul with his Holy Spirit and both Paul's instant Holy Spirit empowerment and how he grows in the Holy Spirit's empowerment over time as like living water within him as he grows in that over time, that leaves people amazed. So if you're a new believer 
or if you've just recently returned to faith, there may be ways that God wants to astonish the people who knew you before, who knew you only last week, through what he wants to do in your life quickly, through quick Holy Spirit-fueled change in you. So don't hide away. Let God amaze people through you. Let God amaze people through what he'll do in your life quickly and through what he will do in us over a lifetime through the Holy Spirit in us. As the Holy Spirit wells up in us to convict us and change us and challenge us and help us and mold us, we don't want to resist that process in our lives. When it comes to God's plans, we will be astonishing only by the Holy Spirit in us. And we are empowered, first and foremost, by the Holy Spirit in us. And we have access to that right now. So filled with the Holy Spirit, in humility, we can go with what we know. Paul goes with what he knows. He has had it revealed to him, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. So that's what he goes with. That is his message. We see others, there's other examples in the New Testament of people who go quickly with what they know. Just one example, we have the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. She goes to, she meets Jesus at the well. She goes into the town. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. She has that encounter. She tells her story. She goes with what she knows. There's a blind man who's healed in John chapter 9, and he witnesses to the religious leaders saying, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He goes with what he knows. He tells his story. Paul is able to go quickly with what he knows because Barnabas goes with him, because Barnabas vouches for him to the other disciples, because Barnabas backs him up and goes with him. And so that makes me think for the not-so-new believers among us. I hear God say, be Barnabas, Laura. Be Barnabas. Go with them. Champion the new guy. Don't be skeptical. But open your heart to that, to what God is doing. Prisca and Aquila, a similar kind of story in Acts 18, a guy called Apollos is teaching about Jesus, and apparently he's doing it quite well, but he only knows about the baptism of John, is what the scripture says. So then Prisca and Aquila take him into their home, and it says they explain the way of God more accurately. I want to be Barnabas. I want to come alongside. I want to be Prisca and Aquila to, to host that and to make space for that and to love the person who's new and who's stepping out in those ways. Okay, so when God says go, we don't want to wait. Number two, we also don't want to overthink it. Sometimes there's a burning bush. Sometimes maybe you might get the audible voice of God. Sometimes God sends us through our circumstances. Acts chapter 11, we read about the reality of early church history, the fact that the believers were scattered and what that did for the growth of Christianity. And that reminds me that what happened in the world, the spread of the gospel, was a direct result of the believers being scattered by persecution. That's how they went to the ends of the earth. That's part of the story. Acts chapter 11 reads, Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. This is a key historical moment here where the disciples start to not only preach Jesus to the Jewish people and say, okay, wait, something has changed here, something we need to acknowledge, there's something new has happened, but actually to go to the non-Jewish people like us. And the context of this moment is important because in the chapters leading up to this, Peter, key leader in the church, has had a dramatic revelation from God, a kind of turning point revelation from God where he's had a vision and God has told him, you need to go to the Gentiles too with the news of who Jesus is. So he does. 
and he preaches Jesus to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. He sees them filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's like, okay, wait, this is real. This is true. He teaches the other disciples to do the same, and then they're scattered by persecution. So as I look at the believers in Acts, I see, okay, maybe I can simplify this a little. I can see how God's voice, revelation from God, and my circumstances can help me know where to go, can help me know how to follow Jesus. For Peter and co., revelation from God unlocks the assignment, okay? They're like, right, we've got to preach Jesus to Jews and Gentiles alike, and then their circumstances changing fuel and enable that assignment, and they go on that. So I wonder, what has God put on your heart to do? Where has he called you to go? What does he, what desires does he put in your heart when it comes to seeing his kingdom come in your time? And then what's your life like? What's in your life? Where are you in life? And how can those circumstances take you there? Whether persecution was the chicken or the egg, whether it sparked their travel or just sparked the timing of their travel or how God used that, I don't know. But it's clear that it sparked something really significant in the scattering process for the disciples. And so I have two practical takeaways from that in my life. I'm like, okay, get stuck into God's word. Be ready to hear his voice. Be asking him to speak. Trusting that he will reveal to me directly or through Peter figures in my life what I need to know. And then look at my circumstances. Look at my life. Where has God put me? Maybe a complicated family situation. Maybe a house renovation. Maybe looking after young children. Whatever it might be, where has God put you? Where are the things in your life that you might think of as, as mundane or ordinary or just part of it that we can actually dignify those things to be like, no, this is how God can use me. When the believers are scattered, Acts 11 goes on to say, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them. I see God's favor here on them and it challenges my perspective of God's favor because I want God's favor to mean that he answers all my prayers and that my life is nice. And maybe that'll happen. But I see here God's favor looks like success by his metrics which is his spirit moving, his kingdom coming, people turning to him, and they go with that favor. Finally, when I look at early church history and how radically the persecution of the church accelerated the spread of Christianity throughout the world, it makes me question again, okay, what circumstances in my life do I feel victim of? And Holy Spirit, is there a way to see this differently? Can you help me see the possibility even here? Can you help me see how you might redeem? Can you help me see how you could glorify yourself here? Number three, when God says go, we need to make peace with what we do not know, oftentimes. God is gloriously other than us. He's different. He's holy. He's set apart. He's the Lord God Almighty. In Isaiah, it says, uh, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Yet he stoops to speak to us, to be our friend. <laughs> so it seems biblical to me that I should expect God to speak and I should go after his voice, but also that I will probably have to live with a certain amount of mystery in my life. Paul says in Acts 20, 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul was compelled by the Spirit to keep moving towards the destination God had called him to. I think a lot of the time, honestly, I'm compelled by what I know. 
I follow breadcrumbs of my own making. Okay, here's the life landmarks I need to hit. Here's when culture tells me I need to hit them. Here's what I'm qualified for, so I should probably do that. We follow the known and sometimes resist the unknown in our lives and maybe put up these blocks between us and where God would want to take us, where he'd want to lead us, thinking, okay, I see a call to go in Scripture, but I don't know how that looks in my life. Or I will go when I know exactly where God's leading me, or I'll go when I feel more at peace, or I'll go when I have more money, or I'll go when I'm married, or I'll go when I see how it's going to work. Or if God wants me to go, he'll give me more details, which would be nice, and he might, but as I look back to scripture, it's not what I see all the time. Abram, just one example, God says, go to the land I will show you, and he has to go before he knows. Abraham walks up a mountain with his son, not knowing how God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. So if God has spoken and he's told you to go somewhere, maybe we ask today, okay, God, when? When, Lord? And if he doesn't say later, maybe we shift gears and start assuming that it's now rather than assuming that it's later. I think I always want obstacles to melt away before I step out, before I follow God where he's leading me. But then I look at Paul here and Paul didn't know how things were going to go. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. I only know that the Holy Spirit warns me everywhere that prison and hardships are facing me. He only knows that he's going to face obstacles. And if you face obstacles as you go, you can be encouraged today that the existence of obstacles doesn't mean that God didn't send you. Because obstacles are obstacles. God's voice is God's voice. Sometimes he clears the way and sometimes he helps us to overcome what's impossible. Although it is good to check, okay, am I facing obstacles because I'm walking in the wrong direction? (laughs) Am I walking in disobedience and therefore I'm being obstructed? Or am I facing obstacles while I follow Jesus, in which case God make a way, help me through? Making peace with what we don't know will probably come into play in our lives in like the big picture crossroads moments that we'll face, big decisions we'll have to make, but also maybe more than often, it'll come into play in those little moments when God says, speak to that person. And we're like, but I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know what they're going to say. Will they like me? Will they reject me? I don't know, but I have to go out. Or God says, okay, how about you serve in this way? And you're like, but I don't know if I can do it. Or God says, go on that trip. And you're like, but I don't know if I have childcare. You know, there's all those things where God might speak and you might need to step into the unknown thing. Paul was certain of what he could be certain of. Paul's life was marked by how he knew Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And he knew Jesus as his Lord the one he should follow. That's what he knew. So he said, I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem, but that's okay. He goes on to say, my only aim is to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Okay, so God says go. What if it doesn't work? Honest question. We know the Sunday school answer. We know that the answer is it doesn't matter if it doesn't work by what I want to see because God's working. But we can be honest and we can say that it feels gross to be rejected and it feels awful to feel like we're not liked or it feels awful to be badly received or all of these things. We have these real fears that we have as we step out, as we go, as we follow Jesus. But if we look at Paul in Acts chapter 13 and 14, I see that Paul and Barnabas at this point in their story, they've been going from synagogue to synagogue preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And at the end of chapter 13, you read that they are expelled from a certain region. They're told, no, okay, basically enough of what you've been doing here, move on. And then the start of chapter 14, we read this. It says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They have been expelled. 
they go somewhere new, straight back in. I share Jesus one way and it doesn't work. And I say to myself, I'm never going to use those words again. I am never doing it that way again because clearly that was wrong and it didn't work. But these guys don't reinvent the wheel. They don't think, okay, I'm going to need a few months to re-strategize how this is going to work. I'm going to need to seek the Lord for six more weeks here to hear what new technique he wants us to use. They just keep going, doing what they know as they know how, scattering the seed. Acts chapter 14 goes on to say, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Okay, so it's going well. A great number believe. Wonderful. But then opposition is stirred up. So you're like, okay, the grace is lifted. They leave. No, they don't leave. They stay. They spend longer. So they spend longer. They stay. They speak bolder. They continue, and God confirms his message by helping them perform miracles. And yet, even then, it says the people of the city were divided. Some with the Jews, others with the apostles. People are still divided. So when God says, go, we follow his spirit, we cannot slip into following any particular sorts of results or things that might happen. We have to follow his spirit so that we have the sensitivity to know, do I stay? Do I go? Is the door open? Is the door closed? When is it time to move on? When is it time to press in? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, he writes uh, this to the community there, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. So knowing the reality that people are going to be divided When a door opens, we want to walk through that door. Paul knew the potential of an open door when there were many who opposed him. So I want to pray along those lines. I want to pray, God, open the doors to me and help me walk through them where they're open. Help me stay faithful even when I'm not seeing the fruit of what you're doing here. My final fifth thing that I see in Paul's life is that we should embrace the great reversals. Claim your turnaround story. In Acts chapter 26, Paul describes his life before Jesus, and he says, I went from one synagogue to another to have them, Christians, punished. He goes on to say, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul literally went from synagogue to synagogue, going after Christians. He traveled. He hunted Christians down in foreign cities. He was doing what he then comes to do again. He was doing that before, but with a totally different intent, place to place, synagogue to synagogue, and then he meets Jesus, and he once again goes synagogue to synagogue, place to place. God's ideal has always been that that we would know him and that we would glorify him with our lives. So it amazes me, and yet it also doesn't surprise me that even in our not following Jesus seasons, God would be setting us up for how he's going to glorify himself through our lives later, through what he wants to turn around in our story. And I think sometimes some of us miss getting the dramatic re-entry into the spheres that we were in before because we maybe don't have the like road to Damascus style conversion story. Maybe it's we come to know Jesus when we're young. Maybe it's that we come to know him over time, all of those kind of things. But I do wonder today if there's, if you have friends, if you have a workplace, if you have a family, if you have any sort of sphere where you have influence, is there a chance to step back for a moment and look at it again and reframe our perspective a little and then step back in 
to own the transformation that has taken place inside you and be like, okay, I'm re-entering this now. I am different. I am new. What does it mean to do this again, but do it differently in my life? Is that where I'm to go? Because Paul had the influence among the Jews. He had the influence among the Gentiles. I know a lot of the time I feel a tension in my heart between using the influence I have and the fear I feel of losing the influence I have. But then I think again, what is the point of the influence I have if it's not part of how I go into all the world to make disciples? So we have our five reflections from Paul's life. But as a final reflection today, to conclude, if God says go, if God says go to me, if God puts in my heart a desire to go, to follow him, to make disciples, whatever that might look like, it doesn't matter if I imitate Paul to the point of dressing up like Paul and calling myself Paul. If I go to perform or to prove something about myself or to in any way make it about me because I can't do anything for anyone. I can't save anyone. I can't help anyone. The goal has to be love and it has to come from him. 1 Corinthians 13, we know this because it's so good. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. We have to go deeply loved by God to share the unlimited love of God. So I want to keep coming back to the prayer. God, give me your heart for this person, for these people, for this church, for this community. Give me your heart because his love is the only motivation and the only source in my life that will not run out for me. It's the only thing that's going to lead me to pray for revival and mean it and want it. And it's the only thing that's going to lead me to the lost. Have you experienced the love of God? Can you remember when you first experienced the love of God? And can you go back to that place so that you can go from that place? And if you haven't experienced the love of God yet, I want to pray for you that you do today. Because then we'll go. A challenge for us this morning, really simple. It's just to think, okay, where's God sending you? Maybe you do have a place. Maybe you have a place that you know, okay, no, I think God is sending me to that place. Maybe you have a people group. Maybe you have a particular friend. Maybe you have anything, a workplace, wherever you are, whatever sphere you're in. Where is God sending you? We would love to pray for you and just commission you to go. Pray, okay, Holy Spirit, come, fill them up, help them, send them out. We would love to do that in our prayer ministry time in just a moment. If you're not sure when you're to go, we'd also love to pray for clarity. If you need answers, if you need to hear God's voice in those things. But right now, just before we go into our response time, I want to pray for all of us. And I want to pray for you that you would experience God's love, that you'd be filled with God's love. Because we need that. We need to go from that place. So if it is helpful for you today uh, to focus, you can close your eyes. I'm just going to go into a time of prayer here. And... I have my hands open just because it's a symbol to me of the fact that I want to receive something from God. (laughs) Like if someone was going to hand me something, I would open my hands ready. So it's just a symbol for me. If that's helpful, you can do that as well. And I'm just going to pray that you'll know God's love. (laughs) Either that you'll be reminded of what you know and what you've experienced and that you'll get more (laughs) or that you'll experience it for the first time. So Spirit of God, we invite you here, Lord, to move in our midst. Holy Spirit, come. God, would you pour out your love in this building today? 
for each of us here this morning, for each of us listening, who want more of your love, who wants to know your love in a real way, would you help us right now to know that you love us, to remember when we've experienced that love or to experience that love today here for the very first time. Jesus, pour out your love. We need you. And in your name we pray. Amen.